I got the chance to speak to Professor Marco Cavaglia, a data analyst of the LIGO team and a professor of physics at the University of Missouri. Dr. Cavaglia spoke to me about his role as part of LIGO, as well as how data gathered from the interferometers are cleaned to look for astrophysical signals. What was and is your role in the project LIGO, and how did you come across this project in the first place? Um, okay, so uh, I started my, my career as um, a theoretical physicist. Um, so when I, when I did my, my PhD and uh, when I was uh, an early postdoc, I was working on exotic things like uh, string theory, quantum gravity, and um, quantum cosmology and so on. And, um, and then I gradually moved uh, uh, more towards um, uh, experimental physics. So it's not really experimental physics. What I'm doing is more uh, data analysis, but closer to experiment. Um, so try really to, to work on things that uh, can be measured nowadays with, uh, with an instrument. And uh, about, um, I think 15, 15, 17 years ago, I, uh, I moved at the, uh, at the University of Mississippi and I uh, was still doing a little, some, some theory at that time, but I was uh, very close to one of the LIGO detectors. And so I got involved uh, with, uh, with the LIGO experiment and I mean, I've been working on uh, uh, within the LIGO collaboration for the past, uh, I think 15, uh, 15 years, almost 15 years. Wow. Uh, so that that's how I got I got involved. Uh, mm -hmm. that. I still like to do theory, uh, and uh, sometimes I do, but uh, mostly I'm I'm doing I'm doing that analysis for uh, you know for for LIGO detections and for for mm -hmm. things. To my knowledge, gravitational waves were first detected in 2015. However, they had been theorized for about a hundred years from Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. Why do you think it took? such a long time for them to actually be discovered yeah it was uh yeah it was due to technology so mm -hmm. i it, it's very interesting that um so einstein uh, uh formulated his theory of general relativity in uh, 19 uh, uh 1915 right and uh and then soon thereafter i mean after a few a few months and uh, in in 1916 he wrote a paper where he was uh, uh, deriving uh, uh, the, the equations for gravitational waves, right? It didn't take too long for him to realize that if uh, general relativity were correct, then uh, uh, there, there would be gravitational waves. Um, and then he put some numbers, right? He was, uh, he was a smart guy, Einstein. He put some numbers to compute uh, an estimated uh, um, the estimated strength of these gravitational waves, the amplitude. And the numbers came out uh, ridiculously small, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason is that gravity is a very weak force. Uh, so it, it, I mean, on Earth we feel gravity, but just because we are sitting on a, on a big planet, right? So there are, uh, there are trillions and trillions of atoms. But uh, um, compared to the electromagnetism, uh, gravity is very weak force. Indeed, you can uh, you can take a simple magnet and make it levitate, right? So a very a very small magnet can uh, 
balance completely, counterbalance completely the, the, the gravitational attraction they offer. Mm -hmm. So he, he said, uh, he said that this is this are a great idea about gravitational waves, but we'll never be able to measure them uh, because, of course, that was the technology of 19, uh, 1915. And uh, since then, you know, uh, lasers are being invented. Uh, uh, technology, uh, I mean, the technology of building mirrors and uh, uh, you know uh, the building and building the, in, the instrument has become possible mm -hmm. so but it took uh, uh it took um, about uh, 60 years or something like that before people even tried to think of an instrument that could detect them and then it took another uh 30 30 40 years right before I, we had an instrument able to detect them so Mm -hmm. uh, that that's that's the reason. I think I think Einstein would be pleased uh, if he if he could see you know uh, LIGO now and uh, and what's coming next. Mm -hmm. So could you give a brief overview of how exactly LIGO goes about measuring gravitational waves? And you also mentioned that you do part of the data analysis. What exactly is your role? Right. So um, so conceptually. Uh, LIGO is a very simple instrument. It's, uh, it's, it's called a laser interferometer. And the idea of interferometry is uh, over 100 years old. Actually, Michelson and Morley used an interferometer to mm -hmm. try to measure the presence of the ether at the beginning of 1900. So conceptually, it's very, it's very simple. And uh, it, it is simple, it's simply an instrument that measures uh, distances. So it's like a big ruler, right? And uh, actually there are two rulers, right? At 90 degrees, the two arms of the interferometer. And uh, what you do is to measure the distance between uh, the corner, so the center of this, the corner of this L and the, uh, the end points of this uh, L configuration. And you do that by, you know, sending a laser beam, splitting it into two, and then you put mirrors at the end uh, of, of the arms of this uh, long L. The light reflects back, recombines at the corner, and then what you measure are inter interference effects. So if, uh, if the distance between the corner and uh, the end mirrors, the end points of the L, uh, doesn't change, you will always, you don't get, the, the light recombines always in the same way. But if uh, these distances change, then you, you start seeing interference effects. Mm -hmm. And uh, gravitational waves, what they do is to deform uh, uh, space, right? So they, they can stretch distances or compress distances. So when a gravitational wave passes by, uh, it changes by a little bit uh, the distances between the mirrors and the, and the corner of the instrument. And so you can detect it with, uh, with, uh, uh, with a photo detector, right? You, you can detect the interference effect. So now, of course, the idea is very simple and the instrument is very complicated, right? It has not only two mirrors, but it has uh, hundreds and hundreds of mirrors and, uh, and components and so on, because um, 
um, you have to isolate it. It has to be in a vacuum. Uh, the mirrors need to, to have certain characteristics. Uh, the laser is very complicated. It has to be very stable. So uh, each, each instrument uh, has over 100,000 sensors uh, mm -hmm. and components that, that control it. So uh, it, it is very complicated, and again, that's the reason why it took uh, it took forty years to uh, uh, to have an, to have one that does the job. Um, so my work. Um, so we do different kind of things um, in um, uh, data analysis. So it's data analysis. So we get the the data from the instrument. I'm not uh, one of those. Uh, people who actually work on the instrument like building it or improving it but i get sort of the end product that comes out of it and uh, uh, we have a lot of data data that that the the detector produces mm -hmm. one is the one that we use to do astrophysics so it's really the output of of the instrument but then in addition, we have a lot of other data streams from all sensors, right? For example, there is a sensor that checks if there are earthquakes, there is a sensor that checks uh, if the um, light of the laser is stable or not, there is a sensor that checks if there are magnetic disturbances, uh, uh, the alignment of, of the mirrors and so on, right? So what, uh, what, what we do is uh, first to use uh, the data streams from all these uh, sensors and instruments and try to uh, use that information to improve the instrument, like make it more stable or remove the disturbances or in, in a certain sense, clean, clean the, uh, the data. And then this is called detector characterization, right? So for example, if we know that at a certain point, uh, the laser light was scattering uh, uh, then we can decide to remove those uh, those data and not use them for astrophysics, uh, or we can try to think of methods to clean up that uh, that particular data stream and so on. Once we do that, then we um, and we have the really the interesting data that are clean. Then we can try to detect uh, to see if there are uh, signals, astrophysical signals in, into that. So for example, so we do both detector characterization and uh, um, look for signals or um, simulate the signals and then try to recover them to see if our techniques are correct and, and so on. So, and we do that for different kinds of signals, both that signals of black holes for, that we have found or signals that we have yet to found, but we are looking for, for that. That's really um, impressive. And so you mentioned like this noise and there's so many variables that need to be controlled for you to actually detect such faint waves. I find it difficult to understand how such noisy data can then like such small signals can be extracted from the data. What are the specific techniques that you use? Yeah, so there are, there are a lot of techniques, right? Um, it, it is really, um, extremely complicated because these signals are really very tiny, right? Mm -hmm. So what we say, they are buried in the noise, right? So if we, uh, if we just had to convert the data stream into, uh, into a clip, into an audio clip and listen to it, you won't 
hear anything, right? You won't just hear the, the noise of the interferometer. Um, there are a lot of techniques that allow to extract uh, the signals uh, that even if they are very weak. And uh, for example, it depends on what kind of signals uh, um, uh, one, one is looking for. Um, if we know what kind of signal we are looking for, so for example, if we say we are looking for two black holes that are you know, orbiting and then merging together, theoretically you can compute what is the signal for uh, the waveform, the signal for, for that event. And so what you can do is a match filtering, right? So essentially you take your stream of data and you know uh, what kind of signal you are looking for and you certain slide try to match that signal with the data, with the running data. And if, if there is a match, if there is a signal, there is a match and then you can detect that, right? Um, a good analogy for that is... Um, if you have a radio, right, a FM radio, and um, um, you turn it, on, turn it on and you hear only statics, right? That's the noise uh, the, of, of your signal. Mm -hmm. But then you want to find a, um, a radio station. So what you do, you, you start changing the frequency, right? And at a certain point, you will hear among the noise, right? You start hear some... Uh, words or some letters or somebody speaking, right? So what you do is exactly match filtering because you have the noise, you have the signal and you know what signal you are looking for. You are looking for, you know, somebody talking, so for words, right? And then uh, your brain and your ears is the detector and your brain is matching, you know, what you know, the sound of words uh, to what you hear in the signal. And then you can tune it until you hear it well, right? So that's match filtering. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know what kind of signal you're looking for, for example, we don't really know what are the signals for uh, of supernova explosions, right? Because it's very difficult to complicate. Uh, it's very difficult to compute because it's very complicated. So what, what we do is simply, since we have two or three instruments, right? We look what happens at the same time. If it's an event is astrophysical, then uh, these uh, two, three instruments, they will record essentially the same thing at the same time, right? Uh, and then based on that, you, we, can, uh, we can recognize if there is something, something in the data. So, but that's, those are only the first steps. Then it's extremely complicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, even after you identify the signal, you have to clean it up and you have to study what are the characteristics and so on. Uh, so I was reading about the first discovery of gravitational waves, which I think happened two days after the detectors were like, operational, the paper was published months later. Was that a surprise to you that a signal was observed so instantly, like right after? Yeah, nature was very kind, right? We had just turned on the, 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 the detectors and, uh, and we, got, we got this signal. There was a clear signal. And um, I remember, uh, you know, at that time, uh, um, we spent a long time, right, just to make sure that it was a real signal because uh, um, it came uh, it came right away, 
and uh, and also it was uh, it was a very clear signal. So we were worried that, for example, something could have gone wrong, or that uh, maybe somebody injected put a fake signal, uh, you know, in the data. And uh, so we that, that's why it took uh, it took months and months to make sure that it was a real signal, and uh, and also to understand what it was. It was the first uh, the, the first one. So. Um, you know, I, I remember we, we even looked at uh, the possibility that somebody had, uh, you know, uh, uh, entered, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the building, the detector and, and, and planted, you know, something to make this fake signal and so on. But eventually uh, uh, we didn't, we didn't have any evidence that, that Tom Cruise, right, uh, came at night like Mission Impossible to do that. Uh, it was a real, it was a real signal. Um, those were were very interesting. Yeah. What do you think the future of LIGO is? Is it that detectors are going to become more sensitive and detect like even tinier signals of gravitational waves? Yeah. So, um, so since uh, since the first discovery. Uh, the detectors have already been improved uh, twice, and we are still improving them, and uh, we'll keep improving them for at least uh, several several more years. And uh, um, we are not uh, collecting data now, but uh, next year when we'll restart, the expectation is that we'll see one signal every every day, you know, almost every day, every day or every few days, because um, they really improved a lot, so we can see we can see more. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and the, you know, with more signals, one can do more physics. We can, for example, map the population of these objects. We can even measure uh, the expansion of the universe and uh, uh, you know the physics of matter at uh, you know very high energies and so on. Um, and then. Uh, um, so nothing lasts forever. So one day, you know, LIGO will have to sh shut down. But um, there are already many people uh, studying and planning for the next generation of, of detectors, right? Uh, there will be one detector in the United States that will be called the Cosmic Explorer. And uh, there will be likely one, one detector in Europe called the Einstein Telescope. And these are what we call the, the second generation of, uh, of actually the third generation of detectors, right, after, after LIGO. And essentially, they will allow to see the entire universe, right, any gravitational events in the entire universe. So that, that would be extremely interesting. And in addition to that, in, um, the expectation is that by uh, 2034, um, one detector will be uh, will be launched in space. It will be called LISA, and so it will it will be able to detect these events uh, uh, from space and with a much higher sensitivity, and will be able to see also much uh, larger black holes and so on. So uh, it's just it's just the beginning of this new branch of astronomy. So it's it's all exciting. If it's hard enough to like measure the sensitive, the tiny noises on ground, it must be much harder from space. Yeah, but on the other hand, in space you don't have uh, um, 
earthquakes, you don't have wind, uh, you don't have all this uh, terrestrial uh, noise, right? So yeah. there are other there are other sources of noise that you have to worry about, but uh, um, uh, you do, you don't. It, it's a different instrument, and also it be it will be much uh, longer, right? The arms will be millions of kilometers instead of just being kilometers. Mm -hmm. So uh, it will allow different kinds of measurements. Apart from LIGO, what other research interests are you pursuing? And uh, looking at your teaching, do your students aid you with your research in teaching or is it more of a separate thing that they do? No, uh, so uh, my students, uh, right now I have, uh, I have five students right now, five graduate students, and uh, also a, a couple of undergraduate students who are working with us. They all do different aspects uh, of LIGO physics. So for example, some of them are doing data analysis, so doing simulations of, uh, for example, supernovae, uh, supernova signals, or study the distribution, the spatial distribution of, uh, of black holes and so on. Um, other students are doing things more related to the instrument. So for example, they are, they are studying calibration, how calibration works and how to improve the calibration of the detector. So some other students are doing, um, um, look at, uh, you know, how to classify new detections uh, based on their properties uh, or analyzing, uh, data that comes from sensors and so on. So um, they actually, uh, they are actually the ones that do most of the, of the work, right? And uh, sometimes I only tell them what to do and give them directions, but they are actually, uh, the, the students are re really, students in postdoc are those who really do the work, right? <laughs> they have time to do the work and, and so on. And uh, we use a lot of machine learning uh, to do uh, um, to do our data analysis, so, so that's something that we are really into it. Mm -hmm. So I have one last question. Mm -hmm. If you could give one piece of advice to high schoolers that are looking to pursue astronomy or astrophysics at a higher level, what would it be? Um, so first of all, uh, um, you need to be good in uh, uh, in math. And uh, also you need to like computers, right? Because nowadays, uh, uh, you know, anything, any high level physics requires uh, some programming skills, right? So if you pass those two tests, so if you like math and if you like computers, then the best advice is uh, get in touch with um, uh, somebody who does research, right? Um, the, the earlier, the better. Uh, for example, I, I've been working for the past couple of years with a few um, high school students, right? And they simply got in touch with me and said, I would be interested to learn more and to see if there is a project. And of course, it's, it's a long distance relationship, but uh, it works, it gives some, some exposure, right? Um, and then, uh, um, and then, uh, so the, the earlier, the earlier, the, the earlier you get in touch with, uh, you know, see the side of research, the, the better. And then of course, there is a lot, there is a lot to, to study, right? The, 
the road is very long, but uh, um, that's probably the best, uh, uh, the best advice. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Dr. You're welcome. It was very nice speaking to you, especially yeah. about LIGO. Yeah, all right. Thank you. That was very nice.